Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From building a well-balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more. Each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Thanks so much for joining us today. This is my second podcast in a row that I have recorded, so I'm excited to be here two weeks in a row. Um, And I bet if you checked our archives, you would hear me say the same thing every single year. We've been doing this now for almost nine years, uh, and I'm going to say it again. It's the second week of August, and I really... I'm not really sure how we got here already. Um, On today's show, we're going to be doing a listener Q&A on some finance questions. We're going to be talking a little bit more about finance and covering um, some personal finance around balancing competing financial priorities for students and for parents, because those two are not always going to be fully aligned. Um, But before we get to all of that, it's the middle of August, for those of you who are rising seniors or maybe already seniors, because I know school has started in some parts of the country, um, you are likely getting ready to apply to college if you haven't already, and you are looking at college majors. And so we want to look at college majors with you. And joining me for that is my colleague, Elise Krantz, who also happens to be a former admissions officer at both Barnard and Bennington. Hi, Elise. Hi, Beth. Well, thanks so much for joining today. For our listeners who were expecting a whole bunch of segments or two segments on research universities, that's been moved to next week. You graciously agreed to come on um, this week to talk to us about this. And I'm not sure that the timing's wrong for it. I actually think it's probably better. The earlier we do this in August, the better. And I'm going to start with something really basic, and that is, what is a major? So on the very surface level, a major is something that every student will need to declare and decide on in order to graduate from college. So it depends on the university, but for the most part, when you select a major, which is, it falls within usually an academic topic or maybe a more of a career oriented topic, and we can talk about some examples, it'll consume about one third of the courses that you'll be taking while you're in college. So it's definitely a focus. It's probably one of your biggest interests that you might have. Um, It might be, as I said, more um, academic focus, something like literature or history or economics, or it could be something very career oriented, whether it's nursing or engineering, something like that. So there's a lot of ranges of majors out there. It just depends on the schools and what they're offering. Right. And what you want to do, right, with what's your goal when you graduate college. And for some people, the goal is very much I want to major in something that's going to lead to a career. And for other people, it's maybe not so cut and dried. I know as a former English major, not so cut and dried um, for me. Uh, I do I do want to touch on one thing briefly, and that is um, I know for a lot of current seniors in high school, their idea is I need to know my major today. What do you think about that? This is interesting. I was actually speaking to somebody recently about this, um, and they found it alarming that students today have to essentially declare a major on their application, where years ago, it sort of was more okay to say, I don't know what I want to study. And I will say from the college standpoint, if you are undecided or undeclared, you might see that language on the application, or you want more of an exploratory path, that's okay. Colleges 
recognize that, they acknowledge that. At the same time, if you are one of those students who has known for years, I'm going to major in dance. I'm going to major in political science. This is my love. Marine biology, that's for me. That's okay, too. So colleges are, they understand that students, even if they check something on their application, they can change their mind once they get to college. It's not set in stone, and it doesn't necessarily lead exactly to only one type of career. There's a lot of flexibility, even within the majors that seem much more career-oriented. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess what I would love for the message to be, and I say this to every student I work with, if you don't know what you want to major in, being undecided is fine. I would like them to have a sense of a couple of areas of interest, things they want to explore, because for many schools, they're going to ask you, you know, why have you selected the major you have, or what are your interests? And you need to be able to speak about that um, intelligently. And it shouldn't just be, I literally have no idea because then it's sort of like, okay, then why are you necessarily going um, to college? So you should have some idea, but I would agree that I don't think you need to know when you apply, but um, let's get into what it, you know, how do you decide in, you know, what are, what are some ways that you have helped students think about that piece? So for a lot of students, when they're applying to college, they approach it from a, I'm looking for a certain type of job, therefore I should pick a major that that aligns with that. Or they may say, you know what, in high school, I loved my AP psychology class. I think I'm going to select psychology. Um, And other students are potentially interested in a career or a field that they've never had the chance to study. And so they're going to select something completely new. Um, So oftentimes when advising, it sort of straddles this line between, well, what would you enjoy studying or what would you imagine you think you might enjoy spending a third of your time in college studying. Um, And sometimes there's a little bit of strategy involved too. And I know this has been discussed before, but some majors are more competitive at certain colleges. And so for some students, it may make sense to check off that more competitive major. And sometimes maybe it might be um, more agreeable to, to select a major that's similar, but maybe not so selective. So I think there's a lot of that what do you love? It should stem from that. Like, where where is your heart? How would right. you like to spend your time? Um, but then also sometimes of, of that, what also makes sense given the context of my application and where I'm applying. Right. I, I mean, and I do think it absolutely has to stem from what am I interested in? Because if you're selecting a major that is nothing to do with your area of interest, and you're selecting it strictly for strategic reasons, then your entire application is going to come across as fairly inauthentic. And authenticity is what we all really strive for. And so, you know, when I think about maybe steering clear of of a more selective major, I think of things like when I have a student who wants to be a doctor and they're saying, and I think I'm just going to select biology. Let's talk about that some more because there were days when I was at Penn where I would read 30 files and every student wanted to major in biology and be a doctor. So can we think about your other areas of interest and are there ways that you could get at this goal that don't involve necessarily bio? Because I think for many students, it's a default choice. Like, oh, well, I want to be a doctor. I'll study biology. But you could do so many different things and still end up in medical school. So let's kind of explore that a little bit. And I think same with computer science. Um, you know, maybe it's specifically computer science, but maybe there's another angle that you're going to come at for computer science. And maybe it's more data focused or, you know, here I'm going to show my lack of true insight into too much computer science. But, you know, there, there, are, there are other things that you can study that can give you the same outcome that maybe will, like you say, open up a few more opportunities 
um, be a little more unique than everybody else who's kind of in the same major. And I think strengths to play into that a lot because we've seen a lot of times when students or families will say, I'm going to check that engineering major box and you look at their grades and math is one of their weakest subjects. Like, so that may be your interest and that's wonderful. And I'm never going to say, no, no, you shouldn't apply for that major if that's where your heart is. But you also have to look at it from the college sense too of does that, will that help you? Is that going to help you put your best foot forward by selecting that major if your goal is to get into that particular school? Absolutely. And a very quick example, because we have lots we want to talk about that I would give is, you know, maybe you do um, a two plus two program where you're going to start and at a school that doesn't offer engineering and you're going to focus yourself, improve the math get better at that. And then you're going to transfer into an engineering program in another school, uh, working with a student or worked with a student who started at Emory and wound up at Georgia Tech. It was a great path for him. He wasn't a really great engineering applicant, but this proved to be a really strong path to him for him to a really excellent engineering um, institution. So there are many different ways that you can achieve your goals. Um, speaking of that, um, how, how do we know what it means to major in X? And I think we kind of hinted at that a little bit, right? Like, you know, oh, well, I want to be a doctor, so I want to major in biology, but how do you, how do you better understand what it might mean to major in, in a specific subject? I have this conversation a lot with students who indicate an interest in business, right? Business is a very, very broad field. Um, And then they say, I want to major in business, right? I want to make money. I want to study business. That's my interest. I'm like, okay, well, what does that actually mean? What classes will you actually be taking in business? And oftentimes they don't know. Um, So one of the first assignments I give students uh, when they're starting to think, oftentimes it's in the junior year that we're discussing this, um, is to go onto a college website, find the list of majors there it's always every school has a list of majors somewhere click on the major of your interest and then you'd have to dig a little bit but you'll find courses that are required for that major and this is the clearest way to really get a sense of if i am declaring an x major business whatever computer science philosophy spanish these are the types of courses that I will be taking. And you can very clearly get a sense for, does this interest me? Do I really want to study this much of this type of of field? Or is it maybe too narrow or too much math-based? Or there's there's not enough flexibility for me to take classes outside of that major. So that is, it takes a little bit of internet research, but every school will have a list of requirements for that particular major. Yeah. And I mean, you're exactly right. If you're looking at this list of courses and thinking to yourself, wow, I don't want to take any of those, or I only really want to take like a quarter of those, that's probably your sign that this might not be the right major. And again, a great opportunity to stress that with a few exceptions, I think engineering is one of them would be another. Um, There is so, there's such a wide variety of things you can major in and end up in business right? You can always go on and get your graduate degree. You can get your MBA if you are in business and feel like, oh, I would love my qualitative skills to be a little bit stronger or something like that. But you don't have to major in business to wind up in business. I'm in business. I did not major in business, (laughs) right? So there's just, um, and the same for so many different things that students end up doing out of college that it doesn't necessarily equate that you must do X major in order for a wide career to happen for you. Which is why when students are 
sort of open-minded and they're like, I'm not sure what I should major in. Another one of my favorite assignments, I will often send them to their, their in-state public university website. Um, so whether it's Rutgers or whether it's CU Boulder or Arizona State, go on to their list of majors. They will often have hundreds of choices and just scroll. You will be astounded at the variety of choices, majors that you've never even heard of that you didn't know existed. And so being able to click on those and really explore is a great way to see just what's out there and what sparks your interest. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, again, I can think of a student um, who had a real interest, like just had an interest in the outdoors, loved being outdoors, enjoyed hiking, enjoyed camping, the kind where you hike in camp and then you hike back out again, you know, not the kind where you go to a campground and it's all for you. And also really loved Spanish and um, didn't know what they were going to major in in college and kind of just were winging it a little bit and um, didn't, those just seemed like nice interests, but not like things you could major in. Um, wound up going to a school where he majored in forestry and Spanish and now lives in um, South America, works in industry around um, the forestry industry. So, you know, managed to take all the things that he loved and put together something, a major that wound up providing him with a great basis for his career. So I love the idea of just go and look and see what's available. I think that's very good advice. Um, all right. So let's say you have a major in mind. How do you find out which schools offer it? So there's a couple of different websites um, that I like to do for major research. One of them is the College Board Big Future website. So College Board is the owner of the SAT and the AP curriculum. Um, if you go on to the College Board website or you search for College Board Big Future, uh, you can on, click there's a link that's called college search and from there you can say I'm looking for four-year schools or two-year schools I'm looking for public or private or you could keep it wide open and then you can say and I'm really interested in animal science or I'm really interested in um, humanities and, and you click those boxes and it'll show you the colleges that indicate that you just have to be a little careful I find with these searches because college majors have evolved so much from when these databases were first created that, for example, data science, which you mentioned, yeah. doesn't really exist in these forms yet. Like on the websites, it's not like coded as a major option because it's so new. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes you have to uh, take the, the results that you get with a little bit of a grain of salt and then maybe do some additional research just typing in data science major and like looking that way. But I do right. think that the Big Future website is a great place to start. Right. And I should probably add that one of the reasons you're, uh, you have particular insight into this is because um, Elise is one of our primary um, people who puts together our individualized college lists for students that we're working with. And so you have a lot of experience where if you put down psychology, that eliminates nothing, right? But if you put down something like data science, that probably creates a smaller pool from which to choose from. And sometimes it's um, a deceptively smaller pool because a lot of schools offer it. It's just not listed on the college board. Sometimes it's a concentration or sometimes it's a minor. So you can still oftentimes study it at a school, even if it doesn't pop up on one of these websites. So it takes a little extra research. Which actually brings me to my next question, which is, let's say you had a, minor, a major in mind and now your school, but I'm sorry, you have in both a major in mind and a particular college that you're really interested in. Maybe it's your local state institution. Maybe it's just a school you've always wanted to go to. 
and they don't offer your major, should it immediately come off of your list? What are your thoughts on that? I worked with a student a few years ago who was insistent she was majoring in biology and Barnard happened to be her first choice school. I said biology. I'm sorry. I meant business. And I'm like, that's great. Barnard doesn't offer business. So either you can apply as something else or you're not going to go to Barnard. And it took a while for her to sort of come to the conclusion that economics was a great choice for her. That's it's similar to, to business in a lot of ways, but it's it's different enough that not everyone who wants business would be happy with economics. So I think for some students, if the major that you're looking for is not available, you should just dig around a little bit before eliminating the school. Um, but other times, if you're looking for something so unique and specific, um, I mean, one example that always pops into my mind is just like engineering. And you're looking, let's say, at big universities on the West Coast, the University of Oregon does not offer engineering. Oregon State does, but not the University of Oregon. So like, it really wouldn't make sense to apply to the University of Oregon for that. So um, sometimes you can make it work. Sometimes you can create your own major. A lot of schools offer that option. Um, But I usually find it's nice to find a nice cohort of other students who want to study what you study. So um, it's, it's nice when you have that community on campus. Yeah. So I think bottom line, right, it's not an automatic you must eliminate, especially if you're really dreaming about the school and feel that it's perfect in every other way. But for the most part, if they don't have what you want and what you want is pretty, you know, cut and dried, then it's probably time to cross the school off your list. But mm-hmm. like University of Oregon, if you want to study engineering, forget about that. All right. <laughs> um, really quickly, um, Ed, we have one more minute. Um Any thoughts on um, how majors might look very different at different schools? Yes. So sometimes when students are doing their research and they're getting to the point where they're looking at the supplemental essays that go with each school and a school asks, why do you want to major in business here? And another school's asking, I know we keep using business as an example, but it's such a common uh, major. Students will find that the way that different universities talk about their majors can be very different. Like um, I was looking at computer science at Grinnell, which is a top producer of computer science majors in the country. It's this tiny liberal arts college in Iowa. Their approach is going to be very different than what Purdue is doing. Um, And they're both great, but because of their size, because of their resources, you're going to find that sometimes the philosophy, the way that they're approaching that course of study is going to be different. And I find you get that information by looking at the websites and the way they talk about their program, the way they talk about um, this, whether or not there's a lot of collaboration or interdisciplinary work. And looking again at the the classes that would be required, you can start to get a sense of, is this going to be more math heavy here? Is this going to be more interdisciplinary there? Um, So that's worth sussing out as well, the differences even between the exact same major different schools. Absolutely. And it can be a great way to kind of narrow your list down further, because especially if your list turns up 50 schools that have your major and you're looking for ways to narrow it down, that's a really good, good way to do it. Um, Elise, thanks so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be answering some of your questions. So don't go away. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. 
We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results, 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice goals. Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm very excited because your current, one of your current hosts is joining me today, Shannon Vasconcellos, who's obviously my colleague uh, and also a former financial aid officer at both BU and Tufts. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Beth. It's been a minute since we've done this together. I know. Well, and in the ensuing time since we have done it, you have gone on to become one of our hosts. So you don't really, there's limited opportunity for us to ever do this again, which is kind of makes me sad. Anyway, you're here today. This is fun. Let's get started because we're going to be doing Q&A, but it's all going to be all finance today. So we're not going to be doing any um, of the admissions questions I did. Coincidentally, if anyone's interested, if I answered your question in a previous segment, just last week I hosted and we did some um, admissions questions. All right. Yeah. This and actually first- we are doing another, I'm hosting next week and we're doing some more admissions questions next week. So That's if we didn't right. get to your admissions questions yet, sit tight. It's coming next week. Coming next week, right? So either I answered it last week or Shannon <laughs> is going to be... Um, having a guest on who will answer it next week. But today, it's all finance. Um, And our first question comes to us through our YouTube channel. Just shout out for our YouTube channel if anyone is interested. We have one. Um, And this is the question that was posted on one of our videos. Um, I have a 529 for my 26-year-old son who lives with me. He and his younger sister will both be entering college at the same time. His sister will use some of the 529. Does my son have to report the 529 on his FAFSA? He's filing independently with no parent info on it. Interesting question. Yeah. And short answer is no, he does not have to report it. 529s can be a little confusing to folks because they generally have a couple of different people listed on the account. They have an account owner and actually with the 529, it's referred to as the account participant. And then they have a beneficiary. So it sounds like the parent who wrote in is the owner of this 529. So they, any, if the, if, I'm sorry, <laughs> let me step back and back. If the son, if her, her, 
I'm picturing this as a woman writing it, but I don't know if it's true. Right. Um, if if these parents' son was a dependent student, meaning they had to provide parental information on the FAFSA, then mom would have to report her 529 that she owns for her son as a parent asset on that FAFSA. Because the son is 26 years old and therefore does not require parental information on his FAFSA, there's a, a few different qualifications that um, might, are, make you independent for financial right. aid purposes, including being over the age of 24. Um, he's filling out his own FAFSA. He would only have to report 529s that he owns. So if he happened to own a 529 for himself or he right. had children potentially that he had 529s for. Um, but since this is mom's 529 and mom is not on his FAFSA anymore, it does not have to be reported. And interestingly enough, mom mentioned that there's another, um, there's a, a younger sister that mm -hmm. she's planning on using some of this 529 for. In there's an interesting change this year, which is not what um, mom directly asked here, but for the benefit of our listeners, I'll, I'll share this, that in the past, if a parent is filling out the FAFSA, they would have to report any 529s that they own for any of their children mm -hmm. on, you know, potentially this one child's FAFSA. If you've got three kids, three different 529s, you're reporting that on all of your kids' FAFSAs. Uh, the, the kind of the full amount for everybody. Um, a change that so often parents would ask, they would think they, they've got the system figured out. Oh, I'm going to put all the money in my younger kids 529. Then I won't have to report it on my, my older kids FAFSA. In the past, we would tell them, sorry, that's not going to work. You have to report any kids 529 on, on each of the, of the kids FAFSAs. They changed it with, and regular listeners will know, something's happening called FAFSA simplification, where they changed a lot of the FAFSA rules. And they've actually changed the rules so that the previous, like, sort of scam people thought they could run, but they couldn't. Now you kind of can, can. <laughs> with the new FAFSA. You only, if as the parent for, again, a dependent student, which is not the case for this parent, you only have to report the 529s that you own with that child listed as a beneficiary. So in, in this parent's case, the son who's independent doesn't have to report it on his FAFSA. In the past, if the daughter is a dependent student, mom would have had to report like the son's FAFSA on the daughter's, the mm -hmm. son's 529 on the daughter's FAFSA, doesn't have to anymore. So really in this family situation, that 529 is completely invisible from the financial aid process because the son doesn't for have to son. report it on on his yeah. own and mom does not have to report it for the younger daughter, assuming that that younger daughter is a dependent student um, because the daughter's name is not listed on it as the beneficiary is what it sounds like. It only has the son listed as the beneficiary. Now, there's an extra step now involved for mom. Um, if that's the case, that it's just totally in the son's name, but she wants to use some of it for the daughter, mm -hmm. you can only make a withdrawal for the beneficiary that's listed on the 529 at the time of the withdrawal, but you can 
change the beneficiary of a 529 within the family. So what mom would have to do at some point, you could either open up a 529 for the daughter and move money from the sons into it, or she can just change the beneficiary on the son's 529 to her daughter, make the withdrawal for the daughter. And then if the son needs some of it, you can change the beneficiary back to the son. It, it requires a, a lot of steps to to do this if you are going to use one 529 for more than one child. Uh, but it is kind of an interesting thing in moving forward that parents will only have to report 529s for the one child's FAFSA that they are filling out any 529s in that child's name as the beneficiary. Yes. And Shannon, have we covered the new, we haven't covered the new FAFSA in detail yet, have we? Because it's still sort of we, being worked out. I know we I, talk about it a lot, basically. Yeah, we, we've started to, I think we had one segment recently to sort of get the ball rolling. And there's, there's I think, some future segments scheduled to dig deeper into it. But yes, stay tuned. Go back. I think it was in the last few weeks that we we had one episode about FAFSA simplification, but there's going to be more coming up. So definitely stay tuned for for more details on all the changes that are coming through. Yeah, and the thing I would I would add, first of all, watch this space. But then in addition, if you're looking for anything in our archives, you can go to the blog. We blog and we talk about on the podcast. And so you can search that topic in our blog. And also we will likely be writing blogs about this too, right? So we won't for just sure. talk about it here, but we'll also be doing some blog. So yes, it's a lot is really, I think the bottom line. It's a whole lot. And and this 529, it's so much. This is something that flew under the radar for pretty much everybody. Um, mm. It wasn't in our, we, we produced blogs and done again, uh, some other, we've referenced this before. We did not reference this change. We didn't realize it was kind of snuck in there in, you know, in this 500 page bill, this, they changed one little line, which changed the way 529s are reported. Um, in fact, the Department of Education released a draft of the new FAFSA a few months ago, and it was incorrect in the draft and mm. where it's basically state it was still stated the old way and mm -hmm. they have since come out and said oh no that was in the bill we do have to change it in the actual FAFSA that will be released later this year that will be changed so that you only have to report 529s where the child that you're filling out the FAFSA for is listed as the beneficiary. All right. More to come yeah. is yes. I think our bottom line here. All yes. right. Let's let's jump into something that is um, theoretically easier. Um, and this Let's comes see. to us, <laughs> this comes to us from Michael and it's a, it's shorter anyway. And his question is when's the best time to start searching for scholarships? I think yeah. they're here. <laughs> yeah. So we, we could go a few different ways with this. If we're talking about what we usually refer to as private outside scholarships, essentially scholarships from anybody other than the college, we say you could start searching for those as early as freshman year of high school. Now, if you're beyond freshman year and you haven't started yet, don't stress out. It's not right. a requirement at that point. But, you know, as soon as you start thinking about this process, starting to, you know, kind of keep your eyes open for what might be out there, run, you know, an online scholarship search or two. Uh, Scholarships.com is one good one where you can plug in the student's information. It will sort of spit out a list of scholarships that seem to match the student's um, 
profile. Um, so you can do that at any time and just start to kind of start keeping track of what might be out there that you might want to pursue in the future. Most of these scholarships you don't apply for until senior year of high school, but there might be a few that you could apply earlier for. Uh, and again, just keeping track of what's out there, what might be a good fit. Some of them have, you know, certain um, materials that they might want you to submit, like writing an essay or doing a special project, like the earlier you know about these things, the better. So that's why I say, you know, it's kind of never too early to start. Also never too late <laughs> to, to, to start searching. So don't, again, don't worry about it. If you got a senior in high school, start now. Um, definitely check in, in addition to the online searches, check in with the high school counseling office. They likely have a list of local scholarships that the student can pursue. Those tend to be, the local scholarships tend to be good ones to pursue, um, even if they're not for a ton of money, they tend to be easier to win than some big national scholarship that you find yeah. online because the applicant pool is just automatically narrowed down for you. Um, so for those local ones, you're probably checking in with the school counseling office during senior year of high school. In fact, most school counseling offices as we enter kind of the new school year will be very busy with the college application process first, and they tend to sort of start to turn their attention to the scholarships once they've got the bulk of students in, through the, the actual college application process. So you tend to see local scholarship awarding start to, you know, happen uh, in January, February, March, kind of like the late winter. Um, but what I want to step back a bit to say is that, uh, so we just talked a lot about private scholarships, outside scholarships, which aren't really the best way to, or the biggest, best scholarships for college. Right. If you want to maximize your scholarships for college, it is all about the college list, the schools that you apply to. The scholarship funding from the colleges themselves tends to be the biggest and best source of money. So when you talk about when should I start searching for scholarships, Whenever you start thinking about where you're going to apply to college, think about where scholarships are going to be most likely for you. And that tends to be at the schools that you might consider more like your safety schools on the list, the schools where you are going to stand out, be well above average. Those are the schools that are going to want to recruit you the most uh, and so are most likely to offer you the biggest and best scholarship. So that that is the primary thing I would focus on in terms of winning scholarships is where you're going to apply, um, what schools will you stand out at. Um, so as you're doing your college list and figuring out what's a reach school, what's a safety school, the schools where your you know your grades, your test scores are well above average, those are be the schools that are most likely to offer you scholarships. So making sure that you're including at least uh, you know a couple schools like that on your list is really going to be the key to winning scholarships for college. Yeah, and I mean if if the the idea is that you have a set amount of money that you can afford to send your child to college and really that's what you have, then I would even say that when you are making your list, the only schools that should go on there are schools where you have a reasonable expectation of paying that amount, right? So, exactly and I right. say this as um, longtime listeners might remember from the own, my own um, experience with my son, schools went on his list if we could either afford the list price, um, and that meant 
for us more public than private, or if we thought there was a reasonable expectation that my son would get some merit money um, to bring the list price down. Um, and he did not apply for any outside scholarships, better or worse, because I'm a convert to the idea that it just felt <laughs> like it was going to be a lot of time and effort for minimal payoff. Not that it, not that a thousand dollar scholarship that helps pay for books is insignificant because it's not, it's just, um, you know, really, I think, you know, especially if you need a lot more than that, putting your focus and emphasis on making sure you have a great list where your child will qualify for a, for either financial aid or for merit scholarships is really, in my mind, the way to go. Agreed. I tend to consider the private scholarships like the icing on the cake. If you have the time and energy for it and it can win you a few hundred dollars, maybe a few thousand dollars, wonderful. I'm not, I'm not going to pass up that, you know, walking past it on the street. I'm going to pick up that kind of money. But right. if you're looking for five, 10, 20,000, if you need that kind of assistance to afford a college, it really, in almost all cases, your best bet is through the colleges themselves and where you're going to stand out the most. Right, right. And we talk a lot about that and discounting and things like that on the show. Yeah. So again, you can um, search our blogs if that's a topic that's of interest to you and find some segments where we've talked about that in the past. And we will surely be talking about it again in the future. Um, sure. Shannon, thanks so much for coming in on your week off from hosting. <laughs> You'll be here next week officially hosting, but I appreciate you filling in um, after we had to do some segment juggling. So thank you. My pleasure. Take care, Beth. All right. Same to you. Um, we're going to take another short break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about balancing um, different financial priorities um, between students and parents. So don't go away. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results... 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice goals. Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back everyone to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Excited to welcome my third guest to the show today to talk about some personal finance um, topics. And uh, it's my colleague, Michelle Smoley, who's also a former financial aid officer at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Beth. All right, we're going to dig right in because we um, have a lot of ground to cover and I want to make sure we can get to it all um, in the time sure. we have. So um, one of the things we want to talk about today or the thing we wanted to talk about today is the concept of competing financial priorities. Can you define that for us and share why this topic is important for our audience in particular? Sure. So competing financial priorities is really a concept that we as adults do daily, but we really don't think about it. So most of us, if not all, have you know a finite amount of financial resources. So we have to prioritize on what we're going to do with those resources. Are we going to spend them, save them, invest them? And so that's really the definition of, of competing financial priorities. Why this is an important topic is we really oftentimes discuss these items with a lot of the families that we work with as they are looking at paying for college, should their college student borrow, should they work, um, and oftentimes uh, managing money in college is the first time that young adults may manage their own finances. And so it can be really beneficial and important for the parents to teach these concepts early on. So they're not trying to navigate that in college along with everything else. Right. So, I mean, you were just talking about decision-making and the whole concept, right, of that I might have a million different things I want to go out and buy, but I have a, a pool of money from which to purchase those things and not all of them may be in my budget. So obviously that requires some decision-making and that's a key component of financial literacy. Are there some examples maybe that you could share of financial decisions that high school and college students need to make and that their parents could be talking to them um, about maybe now while they're still in high school? Sure. So oftentimes, and I know I had this with my kids, let's say they want to go to a concert and it costs $200. And then in the next breath, they're like, hey, can I go to the mall? I need $200 to go to the mall. Yeah. So it's a very simple uh, concept of, okay, you can have this or that, not right. not both. Um, and it really kind of helps to empower them to determine what is more valuable for them. And that can correlate, you know, onto many aspects uh, in their life. In fact, um, Right before this segment, I was just reading an article that talked about how families can incorporate this concept when they go on vacation, regardless of whether it's a high school student or even if you have a, a five-year-old. Set some boundaries and um, set some expectations and have those conversations of how much money are we going to spend on this trip or how much money are we going to allow you to take to spend or or give you to spend? Mm -hmm. So you're not spending the entire vacation saying, no, you can't have this. No, you can't have that. I think all of us as parents have 
have those moments where we're in the grocery store, in, you know, the store and, and kids are putting things in the cart all the time. And um, there's very easy ways of, of trying to incorporate uh, and set boundaries so we can um, teach them that we can't have it all and that we do need to prioritize. Yeah, I think those are great examples. And I also love the idea of, you know, a budget. Hey, we're going to be on vacation. I know you're going to want to buy things depending on the age of your child. Maybe that's they get $5 or maybe they get $50, right? And then you choose. And always interesting, too, to see how people make decisions. Do they do your kids go and blow all $50 in the very first place you go and now they want other things and they can't afford it? Or do they hold on to it so long that they don't buy anything or are they good at figuring out, okay, this, I like this more than anything else I've seen. I'm going to buy this and then I'll still have a little leftover. And maybe that's something, a skill they learn by blowing it all at the beginning one time or saving it all till the end another time. Right. So. Absolutely. Another great example this time of year is school shopping. Yeah. I know with, with my kids, I gave them an allotted amount of, of money that they each could spend. And if they spent it on five items or 25 items, that was their decision. But that was all they were getting. So right. it, do you want multiple shirts or just a couple, you know? Right. Do you need shoes? How many yeah. pairs of shoes do you want to have? And yeah, I, I, um, my parents practiced the exact same thing with me and, um, my son never wants to go back to school shopping. So I guess that's good, but, um, mm -hmm. I've always sort of had it in my head that, Oh, I could do that. But then he, I'm always like, do you need anything? No, nah, I'm fine. That was certainly not me when I was a teenager. I will say that. So, um, I think we've been talking about this in terms of some steps that can help young adults make sound financial decisions. Anything that we haven't covered from that perspective of, of advice and steps that you can take? I think one important step might be to teach them to wait. So don't mm. make that impulse purchase, which I am just as guilty of doing as anybody else. I mean, it's so easy today in a cashless society and the fact that we're not really handling physically, you know, physically handling money. Yeah. We have all these apps that, you know, you can spend a lot of money in a very short amount of time. On your so, phone in five minutes. Yeah, ex exactly. Exactly. So, you know, delay that gratification, uh, which is a little bit different concept than what many of us are used to today in today's society of, right. of instant gratification um start to maybe have them set some financial goals uh, and start that early on from a, a saving perspective maybe now that if they're working this summer that they save 500 or a thousand dollars by the end of the summer or by the end of the year um, are they working towards a larger purchase so maybe they're looking at purchasing an automobile and or helping to pay for some of their college expenses uh, in the next you know few years. So setting some goals so and, and help them to understand and and, and how to uh, mm -hmm. achieve those goals and, and give them some 
um, insight in in how to do that. And uh, it really it can come down to two doing a cost benefit analysis of you know do I value this item or this activity and is it really going to be worth my while or am I going to have buyer's remorse next week uh, right. or not like it once it arrives. So. Yeah, that's a tricky one. I would say, you know, one thing that, um, again, we rely on our own experiences, right? With my son is that one of the expectations we set is that he would earn all his spending money. And that if he wanted to do something like join a fraternity, that, that those dues and things like that would be coming out of the money that he earned. And he really went back and forth in freshman year about, did he want to join a fraternity? Did he not? He initially thought he didn't. Then he sort of kind of got a little excited about the idea. And then when he sat down and did the math and said, there are other things that I want to be able to spend my money on, like I'd like to get a car. And if I have a car, I can't afford the dues or I'm going to have to get a second job. You know, he, he went through it all and decided, I don't think the fraternity thing is for me. And um, it was great to see that in action. And um, I think it was helpful because he knew going in that we weren't going to cover that for him. So he always knew rather than that being a shock, right? Like, what do you mean you're not going to pay for that? So communicating is such an important component, right? Of teaching our kids financial responsibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And kudos to you for doing that. Yeah, you know, I listen, believe it or not, I've been on these calls. <laughs> I I I hear what you guys are saying. I I have been fortunate enough to see in action decisions that other parents make, honestly both good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um when it comes to college and the things that they pay for. My um, my husband sets a really great example of how he did this with his own son. And so while I can't say that I'm always paying attention to what people are saying to me or taking good advice, um, on this front, I did manage to do that. So um, yeah, so I, I should really be thanking you and <laughs> the finance team, because without the stories that you guys share, I'm not sure I would have been as thoughtful about it. For, for sure. So, um, Michelle, what haven't we talked about today when it comes to competing financial priorities and sort of the importance of teaching that this or that rather than both? Why not both? You know, this or that is a really important piece in, um, in making sure our kids are financially literate. Yes. So a, a couple other points is maybe some tips for parents is when you say no, or maybe when you have, um, you offer the, your young adults or children a choice, or when you say no, explain why. Yeah. And explain, you know, how you came to that conclusion. Um, Again, another very simple example is how many times do they want to eat out and we go through that, no, we're eating dinner at home. And so instead of saying maybe no, because I said so, which right. I was guilty of, um, it is we explaining that, you know, we're going out this Saturday night. So this week we're going to eat at home because it costs this amount of dollars. Um, one thing that I talked to my husband about for our uh, 18-year-old last week was, calculating how many hours 
that he would have to work to pay for things like pay for gas in his car or pay for that new skateboard or, you know, mini bike that he wants or, you know, those types of things and, and run those calculations. And, and it really kind of starts to set in regarding, oh, I really have to put some effort into right. getting this item and do I really want to put forth that much effort for that item or do I want to put my energy and, and financial resources um, somewhere else? So, yeah. um, you know, really it helps them build a, a solid decision-making, you know, foundation. So when they go off and they're managing money on their own, that they're not going to set themselves up for failure as far as going into debt and maybe not having savings or understanding the benefits and the importance of an emergency savings. And uh, it helps them to define their wants versus their needs. And uh, so those are some uh, principal concepts that go along with competing financial priorities. Right, right. I mean, another thing too that I uh, think you can do with some some kids, maybe not all, but you know, maybe they do the grocery shopping, and you have a list of things that you want them to buy and a set of budget um, for how much they can spend. And you know, there's probably a little play there between there'll be some leftover money, and you say, "Hey, you can go do the grocery shopping, and you can buy a couple of things that aren't on this list, but you must buy what's on this list." you only have this much money and then whatever else you want to get great you could toss in there but if it goes over the budget either you pay for the excess or you know you don't get it and that'll teach you know even something seemingly like small dollars which if you're feeding an 18 year old boy i know you know it's not small dollars um right. like going to the grocery store it's a really great way to see like, oh, well, if I got this store brand instead of the name brand, the store brand is cheaper. And, you know, I know I like that one just as much. So I'll just get that version. Or I guess I really don't need this big giant box of candy because I'd rather have a couple of those protein bars that I'm going to have when I'm at the gym or something like that. Right. That's another way I think that you could shows and maybe also they could see why you might not want to go out to dinner every night because you've just spent all this money on food that's going to go to waste if you don't go home and cook it and eat that so yeah exactly exactly you know uh, waste is is something that i struggle with with uh, my son and uh, ordering too much not eating it and you know trying to have that conversation of do you really realize you know, the amount of, of money that was just kind of thrown out the window because you didn't make a, a good choice. Right. So, uh, and I, I love the grocery store uh, idea, uh, even going to, you know, a department store, you know, Target, and I can never come out of there um, with a, a small bill, but having them kind of understand uh, when you're buying just necessities, how high that right. that um, cost can be. It, absolutely. Without yes. all the little extras. 
Yes. Michelle, thanks so much for being on the show today. Um, and thanks to all my guests next week. Shannon is going to be hosting. We are going to be talking about the Research University next week. So if you came here today looking for that, well, come back next week. We're also going to do another Q&A. Um, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit GetIntoCollege.com.